So I'd just like to firstly start by saying thank you to Pastor Paul and Pastor Tracy for actually giving me this opportunity to stand here in front of you and to share my story. So how I came to actually be a speaker at this event is a testimony on its own. Pastor Paul simply asked me, so how's your business doing? And as I was passionately sharing with him how it's going, he was like, would you like to be one of our speakers at the business seminar? And I was like, okay, this was a trap. <laughs> um, and I'm like, okay, sure, what do you want me to speak about? And he's like, just share your story and about owning your own voice. And I thought to myself, okay, this is weird. How does he know I'm this vocal person who challenges the status quo? But I thought, okay, but it's Pastor Paul. It's one of the gifts that is actually operating in his life. So yeah, that's how I came to be standing here in front of you. So I'm going to share my story with you. So here it goes. So my mom would probably tell the story better than I. Um, but when I was born, I was actually a post-mature baby. I was born at 42 weeks old. Um, and I think I've been told by mothers, I don't have that blessing yet, um, that usually a woman will carry between 36 and 40 weeks. I came out at 42. So to add to that, um, my cord was wrapped around my neck three times and twice around my stomach. So I was a trapped baby. She was in labor for more than 24 hours and she had to then get an emergency cesarean, otherwise obviously I was gonna die. When I came out, I immediately began to scream. The doctors were shocked because you're trapped. How you mean to scream? Usually they need to cut it and help you and all of that. But I was like, listen, I'm out of here. I've arrived. <laughs> and basically that formed the basis of my life. Since I could fully comprehend the miracle of my birth, I've always told myself that despite of whatever I go through, I was born to stand out, I was born to be different. I knew that, but I did not always vocalize that because I was like, what will people think? So for about 19 years from the time when I realized this, so that, till that was like when I was about 25 years old, I knew I had this power in me, but I was so afraid to share it because what would people think? In my formative years, I was raised mostly by my granny and her prayers were my alarm clock and at the same time, they were my Facebook because she'd be praying for so-and-so's husband to come home, so-and-so's to get healed, and I was like, you don't want to look like you're awake just in case she lowers her voice. <laughs> and I guess that's where I developed my, my mature spirit, because you know, you, you've heard so-and-so's husband must come home, but here you are seeing them at a party, and you're like, what was the prayer about? <laughs> you know, and from that age, I knew very much that life is not always what it seems. You need to dig deeper than that. Um, and at this, I also realized that, you know what, sometimes growing up is a scam. But look, here we are, adults, we're doing it. So my earlier childhood was actually full with many different types of challenges and sicknesses, some of which I still bear the scars physically today. And as I was preparing for this talk tonight and reflecting back on my 31 years, I realized more than anything, it was the hand of God on my life. And hindsight is always 2020. I may not have appreciated it when I was in the moment, but I've now come to actually thank God for it. And the story of Joseph is something that I always allude to. My friends will tell you, no matter what they face, I'm like, no, but you remember Joseph? This, this, this. There's so many nuggets in that story. 
um, you know, from being sold into slavery at 17 years old by his own brothers, the false accusations with, by Potiphar's wife, and which led him to prison. But at the same time, that was the perfect location where his gift would manifest and eventually lead um, the Egypt as the second in command at the age of 30. So I'd always say, if he could do it at 30, why can I? And going through my career and my life, which I will elaborate on a bit later, I was always told, you are too ambitious, you are too ambitious, you are too this, you are too that, always because of my age. And I think to myself, if I'm created in the image of God and I've got the dominion to take over, why is a number meant to hold me back? So I always wanted to push the barriers and a lot of people don't understand me. Um, especially in corporate, my friends will tell you, they'll be like, oh, but she's so vocal, she's not afraid of anybody. No, I do have my fears, but I know who has put me there. Amen. So my academic life before postgraduate studies were fairly a breeze. I passed matric and my undergraduate in record time. And actually, I didn't know my business statistics lecturer because his class was 8 o'clock on a Monday morning. And that is a bad combination for someone who's just found their freedom. <laughs> um, and while I was going through my undergraduate, I actually wanted to become a chartered accountant because men lie, women lie, numbers don't. And after my undergraduate, I decided I'm gonna do my postgraduate. And one of the requirements to become a CA is you need to pass all four subjects in one sitting. So financial accounting, financial management, auditing and tax, all need to be passed in one year. To cut a very long story short, I did my CTA three times. So I was a straight A student, passed undergraduate, matric, all with distinctions, and here I was facing my first failure. And for someone, so just to put this into perspective, if someone who was in grade one, while I was in grade three, they were being taught how to hold a pen, I already knew two plus two is four, we were now in the same class in CTA because it was my third attempt. My first two attempts, I passed three of the four subjects. And in one year, my auditing paper went missing, so the lecturer said, we can't pass you. The second year, I got 46%, and to get a remark, you needed to get 47%. I thought to myself, they must can't you take the mark from like tax and put it there and you know, just equalize there. The bottom is the same the system wouldn't let me. I was crushed and this was my first humbling experience of failure and it actually felt like I was paying my wages for giving up on business statistic lectures. During the time I was actually depressed and I wanted to give up on my life because I felt there is nothing more to live for. I have disappointed my parents, I've disappointed my granny, who was actually a very big component of shaping the woman I am today. How was I going to explain to them the long hours I had put in and still I failed? Missing family lunches, family weddings, because I'm studying for my CTA, we need to, you know, I need to get this here. I'm like, they're not gonna believe me. They're probably gonna think I'm stupid or I'm playing. And for once in my life, I was actually not playing. <laughs> and being at 22 at the time, um, my confidence was not carved out. And I used to place my validation in intellectual abilities instead of actually relying on my God. 
during the December holidays after my second failure at this. So it, with, just to put a bit of context, when you re, if I failed auditing, it doesn't matter. I need to repeat even the ones I've passed. So you kind of know the lecturer, you know their jokes, you know, like, oh, it just becomes very <laughs> depressing. And during the December holidays after my second failure, I was thinking of an escape of my reality. I actually wanted to die. I was like, you know what, I'm not doing this the third time. It's too much for me. My dad came home and he's like, I want to speak to you. In my head, I'm like, this dictator, I'm dead. They're going to tell me, pack your bags, you're going to vendor. We want nothing to do with you, you're wasting our money. However, to my surprise, he gave me a booklet of stories he had printed of many, many, many people who had tried at something and failed 100,000 times, but their resilience and their perseverance actually led to their success. So 22, nothing else matters but this past. I didn't even appreciate those stories. I was like, at least I still have a home. <laughs> um, and I thought to myself, okay, why is he giving this to me? Why is he not shouting? Why is he not disappointed? Why is he not, you know, you become like, there's something more to this. What is he planning? But anyways, I thought, you know what? Let me give it one more try. And my mother would always be like, you know what? God has said in his word, this, 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 this. Just try again. And later on, we found out that the university where I was actually failing and my papers were missing had a certain bias against a certain demographic. So they were marking the papers according to your name, and my full name is Kumezani, so it does not get more black than that. Um, so they were marking the papers according to, to, to the names instead of actually what's in the paper. So I, re I decided I'm not going to go and do my third attempt here. I'm going to move universities. So I moved to another university, and that year I passed all of my subjects in one city. Like, whew, now I can finally become a CA, right? Well, that was not the case for me. I thought, you know what, I actually hate this thing. Because after three times, you know how this, those thick textbooks are, and I was like, I don't want to do this. Um, and I decided I actually do not want to become a CA anymore. But I thought, how am I going to break it to my dad? I didn't mind breaking it to my mom, because I know regardless of what I do, she'll be proud, she'll support me. But I had this thing of, I need to please my dad. So I thought to myself, hmm, this is going to be a tricky one. You've wasted all these years, they've paid for all this tuition, and then you're going to tell them, you don't want to become a CA. Like, who do you think you are? So I decided I'm going to approach this in a very methodical manner. I said to him, I know I'm going to be sitting for my board exams in January, but I actually think I need some work experience because my peers are actually also doing like second year articles, so I think I need to be exposed a bit before I take the exam. And I said, can I come and work for you at your company? Luckily, he agreed. He did not know my grand plan that I actually just wanted to get out of this thing. So I then was appointed to assist one of the directors, um, and I was doing business development and corporate strategy, which later yielded fruits in my professional life. The company at the time probably had about plus minus 800 people. So it was, although it was a family company, it was quite relatively small to medium enterprise. And another thing that added to this is, since I was 16 years old, I never had school holidays. Just sitting at home, watching movies, playing PlayStation. My dad was like, I'm an old man, I'm sick, I need a driver. 
you need to drive me to all these uh, to all these meetings and i'd be like okay because you know driving is all good and well when you don't have a license get your license and be asked to drive somewhere not so exciting so i would go into these board meetings and i'd actually ask him to say can i come and sit i won't say anything i'll just sit in the corner and i'd be in these board meetings observing the language that people are using and just studying what people are saying and the skills actually became what helped me about 10 years later because I was like, these people are actually not cleverer than the average person. They just happen to be in a certain position. They are actually not clever. So, working for the family company was very awesome. But I soon understood that if I wanted to be great and to move further than what he had achieved, I needed to branch out. If I was going to stay in the company, there was no way I was ever going to beat what he had done. And I wanted to build a personal brand. What happens if he passes away? All I know is what he has taught me. To further add to this, in one of my performance reviews, the director who I was helping was like, you are doing great. I do not have any development point for you. And I thought, there is no way. I am 24 years old. There is something you can help me with. But at the same time, he's not going to cut the hand that feeds him. I am the CEO's daughter. So I guess he did not feel comfortable. I felt this was a very huge negative on me. And right then and there, I, I knew I needed to leave. And further to that, there was a prejudice. I was helping him. He was doing his MBA. I took over his portfolio. But I was still getting paid as an intern. And in my mind, I'm like, but I'm not doing intern work. But, you know, like, can we at least match? <laughs> And obviously the accounting department was not having that. And my dad had to be harder on me than anybody else so that no one can say he's biased. So I was pulling a bit of a cash for the two. I then decided I'm gonna leave. I am going to find a job, start at the bottom, and I'm gonna build myself up. I started applying for many, many, many different jobs. And eventually I landed my first role at APSA at the bottom of a food chain as a finance business partner. When I left the family company, I told my parents, I am going to be a director before I'm 30 years old, which was within a five-year time frame. And I'm like, and after I'm a director, I'm gonna leave and start my own company. My mother was like, I know my girl can do it. You know, she's like calling my friends, yeah, she's left, she's left the company, but don't worry, she's going to be a director. <laughs> and then my, my dad, on the other hand, was looking at me like, ooh, she does not know the world out there. So, at the, at the same time, when I was there, I was engaging with a wonderful woman on possibly starting a farming business that will supply vegetables and fruits to retail outlets. And I told her, I need to put this on hold because I actually need to go find myself for myself and by myself. You are 34 with an international MBA. I'm just 25 with a postgraduate. We are not the same. I need to go and build my brand. Many people scoffed at me for leaving the company, asking me, why would I want to go and be a slave instead of building the family empire? And I'd always politely respond to them to say, it's slavery to you, it's school fees for me, for where God is going to take me. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to build a brand outside of Chris. Chris is my dad's first name. In, my, in our family, we, we do it like that. We are all equal. <laughs> so being an only girl, there was no pressure to succeed, but for me, 
it became an opportunity to actually prove the naysayers to do better than my brothers, to do better than my own father, and to see how far I can take this. I was like, what's the worst that can happen? If it doesn't work out, I'll just go back and do something else. I still have time to play. I have no kids. I'm not married. I have no pets. No one is going to suffer. So I just want to make sure that I am still, I don't want to go on and on and on and on. I've got a tendency of going off on tangents. <laughs> While I was at APSA, I was the finance business partner and I was exposed to many different domains in finance and accounting. And I decided to do my chartered account, chartered, I forgot what it is, but it's CMA, it's basically finance accounting. Um, Yes, that one. <laughs> if that's how long ago it was. <laughs> and the, the certification usually takes about three to five years. And I achieved it in one, one and a half years because I think I had that anger from losing those three years repeating the same thing. And I was like, I need to understand that I'm not stupid. The SEMA is marked in the UK. There's absolutely no bias. You don't write your name. It's a number on the script. And that actually gave me my confidence back. I was like, okay, so maybe I was part of the people in the scandal. But my dad was like, no, we don't need to do that. Because I was like, let's go to the press. Let's go and put complaints. He's like, we don't need that drama. So we left it at that. <laughs> I quickly grasped the concept required to be a finance business partner and thought I needed to actually take it one step further. For those of you who are exposed to finance people, they send monthly packs, meaningless numbers, meaningless this, and I thought, Surely we need to become more strategic. And my manager at the time was a very staunch woman. She was set in her ways. If it worked 25 years ago, it will work for the next 25 years. <laughs> and here comes Volko Kumi. Like every TV thing, I'm like, why don't you do this like this? And she did not like it. And then one day she's like, you know what? I think there's an opportunity for you in, in CIB, in corporate investment banking to be the CFO at, at, at the division, but you're not gonna get a promotion because you have no experience. And I'm like, okay, so if I have no experience, why are you taking me there? She's like, just go and try it out. And I'm like, on one condition, you and I are gonna commit to each other that if I do this and I do this well, I get my promotion and you review my pay. She agreed. I'd only been a, at APSA for about three months when this move happened. And when I got to CIB, CIB was different. I actually felt like I was working at a different bank. It was like, there are levels and then there are levels. Like, <laughs> it's a whole different ball game. And during this time, my relationship with God really became a one-on-one -on -one relationship, not like the religious occasion on a Sunday because you've been dragged. I've not always worked with God. I've been exposed to many different cultures and rituals and ceremonies. And it's through this exposure that I can firmly stand here in front of you today and never be shaken by the things of the world because I will never, ever lose my way with God. And I'm now independent enough to say no to some cultural practices. When my granny passed away last year, oh, they were like, no, you need to watch with this, you need to do this because then you'll die. And I was like, I've got the blood of Jesus. Amen. Keep yourself and I walk the way. You don't pay my bills. It's that simple. <laughs> and now my mother and I laughed because half of them started getting all these like nightmares. And I'm like, how? She lived in this house. We're not getting anything. The people that watched, what's happening? 
So I guess it's always good to find your voice, even in a cultural setting, even if it may offend people who are supposedly superior to them. I always say age is just a number. It doesn't mean you're more wiser. So straight away, when I joined CAB, like I said, levels. I quickly realized that, you know what? My own abilities are not going to suffice here. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to actually help me move the dial. And during this time, I developed my motto, which I still say to this day, I am the head and not the tail. And I'm above and not beneath. In everything I do, I will be triumphant, I'll be victorious because God is with me and he orders my steps. I've said this affirmation for the past six years every single morning without fail. I ended up being the top finance business partner during that year while I was at CIB and I saved the division 400 million. How I got the wisdom to do that over people who had been doing it for 15 years plus, I don't know. I can only credit it to the grace of God. Amen. Come my performance review time, I went back to my manager and I said, listen, remember you said if I do well, if I do this, I'll get my promotion, I will get my review. And she said, I don't have any blocks for VP. You know, in corporate, they will give you like certain number of blocks for certain positions. And she's like, I don't have budget. And I'm like, well, if you don't have it, why did you commit to it? And that principle, like people will tell you for me, it's the principle. If you lie to me, the principle is broken. And I said to her, but why would you commit to something, you know, that you cannot um, meet? And she's like, I didn't think you'd make it in CIB. So actually, she had set me up for failure. But what she didn't know is that later, that's how I made my destiny. I then decided to do an, 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 an analysis um, of the people in leadership roles in finance. And all of them were over 42. It was like five levels above. And I thought, I drew like this mind my mind. I thought, mm, to get there, this one must die. This one must get there. I'm like, oh my, oh no. This is not my portion. I'm out. <laughs> Because the clock was ticking. I was now 26 years old, and I'm like, no. And I asked my like, people, how long did you say you've been here? Like, no, I've only been here for five. And I'm like, only? Mm-mm. This is not for me. I then thought to myself, I want to grow, and I want to grow fast. And I've been given the dominion by God. The word of God says I can do all things. So why should I let the systems of the bank tie me down? I then decided I'm gonna put in my resignation because my reasons were quite simple. I wanted opportunities to grow and I was not gonna get them in finance. So I put the resignation in. So I was actually at the time going to join another major telco as a deputy head of department. And while I was serving my notice period at home, my, one of the chief operating officers of the CIB division called me and said, I'd like you to come. I've heard you resigned. I want you to come and join technology. And I'm like, I know nothing about technology. I know how to use it. I present the numbers to you on a monthly basis at Jomankos, but I don't know anything else. And she said to me, it doesn't matter. I've seen talent in you, and I want to grow you. There are many opportunities. And I thought, okay, I've made a commitment to that other company, but I haven't signed. It was within the five-day period. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to give it a try. So my previous manager got wind of it. Then she took it upon herself to call me, and I, I'm gonna read those here because I've written it down. I emailed it to myself in 2014. 
So I went back to that email when I was preparing. She said, you will never amount to anything in this organization. If I was you, I would just move far away. Of which I simply responded, thank you for your views, but you are not God. And as a result, you do not control my destiny and how far I go. Yo, she went off in Afrikaans and hung up the phone. So I don't know how that story ended. So <laughs> my move to technology became a stepping stone to many opportunities, of which I eventually became a director at 29. Mission achieved, I thought. And the commitment I made to myself when I left the family company was achieved. The CEO, the, the CIO of the time when I was a finance business partner is actually now my partner in my business. When I was serving him, and I calculated this so it's right, my salary went into his 11 times. And today we are equal shareholders in this business. And when I joined technology, I knew my talents had got me there. I had saved them 400 million. Of course they want me. But I was like, I need something that's going to sustain me to actually become relevant more than this because I had no mandate over finance. I was no longer in finance. That's all I knew. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to study every senior manager in this bank. I'm going to understand their weaknesses, their strengths, because I also then added on a motto to say, study the greats and become greater. I literally had about 24 coffee meetings with different people just to get to know them. And then I would do this one because once I speak to them one-on-one, -on -one, I realize I'd only see them as humans. There wouldn't be this royalty up there that, oh, that's the CEO, you know? And I then told myself, everything is learned, including Maria. Maria at the time was the CEO. I'm like, everything she knows, she has learned over time. And if she has learned it over time, I will also learn it over time. There were many meetings where I'd go in and I had no idea what they were discussing. It was too technical for me and I was like, eh, what? I always used to call C-sharp C-hash because that's how it was written. And I just see yeah, these C-sharp developers and I'm like, where's the shop in the pack? And they were like, giving me the side eyes. And you know, one thing with me is, I don't mind if I make mistakes. Like, it's okay, please have asked and now I know. Next time I'll be better. You know, so in everything, when I was in the corporate world, sometimes overwhelmed, I'd be like, you know what? These people also learn this. I'm also going to learn. So I then realized that a lot of leaders lack EQ. They were promoted because of their abilities. They may be very clever people. They may be very good at other things, but they actually suck at being good, being good leaders. And I thought, okay, this is my gap. This is where I'm going to shine. I'm going I'm to be for the people, by the people. <laughs> so I then decided, let's do this change management journey in technology. And technology had just gone through a big restructure that led to like hundreds of unhappy people. And we did this program called Kusafiri. I'm sure you still remember it. And it was basically a strategy that was built around people. And it had such an amazing impact, and I thought to myself, okay, my brand is now getting established. But I was still an MVP, but I'm like, how MVP is assistant vice president? And I'm like, okay, I'm now turning 27, and I have not moved anything since I've joined this organization. Something got to give. So I then used to watch a lot of YouTube videos, TED Talks. I used to read about three books like a week. 
I would literally watch zero TV besides Arsenal games. Me and Arsenal have been in a very abusive relationship since the days of Thierry Henry and Patrick Vieira. Like, it's, I think I need to get out of it. But anyways, <laughs> I would then look at these videos and be like, how do I get personal mastery down to the T? Because I realized these people are in expos, but they lack a lot of EQ. And I'm like, I'd be like, I wouldn't do this like this. I wouldn't talk to this person like this. This person has got the heartbeat of the bank. They can press one button and we're down. So I know you're probably thinking, hmm, no social time. This is unhealthy. But for me, work-life balance has its seasons. In that season, I had to work 18-hour days so I could actually stand out. I did not have the experience. I did not have the relevant qualification. The only thing that would set me apart was a great work ethic. During the time, I made one of my good friends, Nomonde, she's the lady in green, and she was <laughs> the business manager of the chief operating officer of the whole group's technology. And we'd get to work at the same time at half past six in the morning. And I'd be like, oh, another black girl. Oh, yay, you know? <laughs> Because it was like, to be like, I need to be frank. There were very few and far in between in those positions of influence. And we struck up conversations like, how is it to work with Wilhelm? You know, and then we became very good friends. Then one day she comes storming into where I said, Coles, I didn't know you were an AVP. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, no, you need to become a vice president. You're doing a vice president role. And I'm like, okay, but you know, this woman hired me back into the organization. She's been good to me. How do I go to her and say, I'll see promotion, <laughs> you know? And I thought, okay. She's like, no, I'm going to sort this out with your manager. And I'm like, okay, go ahead, but make sure you tell her I had no part in this. <laughs> and she went ahead and did that. And later on, my manager promoted me that month. And she's, when she gave me my letter, she's like, I didn't know you were an AVP. I always thought I'd hire you as a vice president. I was 27 at the time and I thought, okay, clock is ticking. Three years to 30, what I said. From that moment on though, it actually changed my outlook on life. My world views were very untrusting, especially with women. I'd be like, you know what, if you want to stay out of trouble, do not have women friends. Those people are trouble. And I then realized that no matter how talented, favored, or intelligent you are, you need somebody to help you to move to your next level. In that season, she was at that, she was that someone for me. And I then decided, Holy Spirit, please, I need more people in my network that will help me navigate this organization because I cannot do it on my own. And quite frankly, that was a changing point in my life because I stopped looking at people from a point of distrust and I'll say, I'll trust you and it's up to you to mess it up. Shortly after I got my promotion to vice president, there was a restructure in technology. Plot twist. Duh, 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 duh. So our retail and business banking was then consolidated into one. So operations and RVB was now one thing. So most roles became duplicated. And I thought, God, this is not how the story is going to end. Because my role was now duplicated. There was another business manager in the area who had way more experience than I did. And I thought, okay, I need to think fast before my manager thinks for me and I find myself with a section 189 letter. 
So I went to my manager and I said, I think there's a gap in technology because we never think about the people. And technology is a people process thing. You cannot leave the people out of it. It's there to enable. And then she and I was like, and I actually think the business doesn't understand what we do. Can I be your head of strategy without an MBA? And she looked at me and she's like, how are you gonna solve this? And I'm like, I, I gave her a plan that from watching all those YouTube videos was a copy and paste exercise, but she didn't know that. And I then got my head of strategy role. And the lady who we were in the same role, both of us then became my friend, but the system had actually set us up to be enemies. And we'd work late nights till like midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and I'd start preaching Christ to her. And because I'm, I'm actually an introvert, I don't really get my energy from people. Um, and I'm not the kind of person that will stand up and dance on the table or at a party. But one-on-one, -on -one, very good. So I would start talking to her about, you know, have you, do you know Christ, this, this, this. And after about three months of chatting to her, she came, she calls me one day, she's like, I went to church for the first time in 20 years. And I was like, oh, that's great. And then like three months later, she's like, I just got baptized. And I'd invited her tonight, because I'm like, I'm gonna mention you, you're my, one of my best case studies. <laughs> and she called me at like quarter to five, church had called her, she's now the head of the media team serving faithfully. And I realized, Christ is not in a Sunday building. I don't need to wait for a pastor to say, look, let's go out and evangelize. And if someone receives Christ, it is to their benefit. Um, and I can't have a Sunday kume and a Monday to Saturday kume. There needs to be consistency. And I, I was like, okay, it worked on her, so it can work on the next person. And so it started. Everybody knows, when I was asked to be a mentor for one of the programs, I said to the HR lady, I'm, I'm happy to mentor, but if they don't believe in Christ, we can't go far. Because everything I've done, it is through him. And she's like, you can't say that at work. It's human rights violation. And I'm like, yes, I can. When it's Ramadan, we respect them. On Friday, 12 o'clock, we have no meetings. So the same thing will apply to me. And <laughs> she just thought to herself, oh, Kumi, here you go again. <laughs> and then eventually became the twice to the CIO of the retail operations. Um, and retail operations is very much the heartbeat of the business. And I learned everything. I then was tasked with shaping the direction, the budget, and the ways of working. And I then thought to myself, okay, this is great. But now I know all this technology. I know how it works. I know C-Shop. I know all the stuff. What's next? Because I realized I wanted to move out, start my own business, but I didn't necessarily have all the skills I wanted to build. And there were many battles we fought in technology. I invited my friends so they could hold me accountable and not lie. But literally every other day we were fighting. And when I say fighting, I mean we were fighting Goliath. You know, it was injustices, it was racism, it was sexism. And for me, that's something I can't take. I'd rather voice it out than you fire me than keep quiet and condone it. However, despite those challenges, we still made it out. I was then interested in hiring what the CTO said at the time, get me another kumi. And I was like, another kumi? Okay. So he then said, I need a business manager, please look one for me. 
I then interviewed all these different people and I met my other friend, she was not a friend at the time, met my other friend in the interview, she did not meet the qualifications, she did not have any experience in that domain, but I thought to myself, let me hire her. Later on, I came to understand that her church or her small group at the time was in prayer while the interview was on. And when I went to my promotion to directorship, she was like, she called me the day before, friend, I think we need to fast tomorrow. I'm like, Ish, you know I get hungry by night. <laughs> and she's like, don't worry, I will fast for you. And I still remember as we got into my car in the basement, because my interview was in Santon, I was in town, and we prayed. Because if I looked at the paper and I looked at my experience, it, I didn't meet it. Needed like 20 years experience, I was just nine years old. <laughs> Where was I gonna get the experience? And we fasted for it, we prayed, and I got my promotion. When I got to Corporate Investment Bank, there were many whistleblowing cases, and I used to nudge the HR lady, why didn't you tell me all these problems in the interview? I would not have come here. And I realized God had put me there for a reason. That department at that time needed a lot of change. There was a lot of injustices that were happening. There were a lot of voices that were being followed by the system. I then worked together with HR, put a lot of processes in place, interventions, focus groups, to ensure that the people's voices were heard. It actually sadly led to about four managers being fired or being moved to other departments. And I thought to myself, okay, yes, this was not the right, probably the, the most passionate role I had envisioned of being promoted to a peak, but it was something that I needed to do because no one else was gonna do it. Some of those things were going on for more than eight years. And you'd ask people, why haven't you raised anything? You're like, ah, they won't do anything. You know the system. I don't want the career limiting moves, all of this. And I was like, career limiting for who? Whose God do you pray? And we changed the direction of that place. Until this day, including this morning, they called me, we are having problems with this. Do you want to come speak at our town hall? And I was like, hey, now you gotta pay me. <laughs> I'm not yours anymore. And, you know, I always wanted to be a director by 30, but when I became a director at 30, what I was seeing was depressing. It was not what I had actually dreamed of when I was a young person. You realize sometimes it's better to be ignorant, because when you realize how many things go into doing a bonus pool, allocating increases, if you're someone wired like me, it will actually depress you. So I decided, you know what? I've learned everything I need, and my peace is at stake here. And I always say, before anything else, I got the peace of my mind with my life. You mess with my peace, you are out. I do not care whether we are related, whether we are Chinese twins, you need to go. And this job and role was messing with the peace of my mind. I just couldn't take it anymore. And I went to my manager at the time and I said, listen, I want to leave. And he said, why do you want to leave? And I said, I am different. I am wanted differently from you. And I am tired of fighting. I am tired of always looking like the vocal one going against the majority. It's draining me. I'm too young for this. And he said, let's go out for coffee. Let's leave the office setting. We went to fashion. And I said to him, why do you always change your stance depending on who's in the room? I thought my mind does not work like that. And he said, if you want to go, you need to roll with the punches. Right there and there, I knew, uh-uh, I'm not going to sell my soul 
to please the devil at that time. So I told them, you know what, we are wired differently. I'm not saying you are wrong, I'm not saying I'm right, but we are different and it's not going to work. I need to leave. So initially I wanted to leave last year, May, and then they convinced me to stay for until I finished my initiatives and my projects till December. December time, I said, remember we agreed that I could leave in December. Put in my, my resignation and then he calls me. Why would you want to leave your bonus? Bonus at APSA is paid in March. And if you resign, even on the 7th of March, you won't get your bonus. I said, it doesn't matter. That bonus is not God. The way God is taking me is far greater than what you'll give me. He's like, oh, but I've got a seven-figure bonus that's waiting for you. And I'm like, that's great, but you are actually a memon right now. And me, I've got God. I'm not going to follow the money. I'm going to follow what God says. And he was so offended. He actually then called HR and he said, repeat what you said. And I repeated it. Then I said, I can't stay three extra months just for a seven figure. You don't know what has called me. You don't know what I hear when I go to sleep. And he'd be like, I don't understand. You've worked for it. And I'm like, if you wanted, if you want to give it to me that much, give me a golden handshake. You actually just want to use me for the extra three months because they were the critical months for the retrenchments that they're currently doing. And I thought, this is it. I'm out. I then, before that, I had started Vaxaway, which is the company Pastor Paul alluded to earlier. And while I was working in tech, most people think I was just working in tech. But I was studying the suppliers, the technologies, and you know, what are the things we're complaining about? And I thought, okay, this is the gap I'm going to close. I approached the CTO at the time, who had approached me earlier, and I said, why don't we rather do this? Because he had approached me with a different idea. And later on, I came and I asked him, Peter, why did you choose me out of all the people you knew because I was not necessarily the closest to you? He's like, because with you, I know I'll get what you need. And whenever there's money, I know that you'll actually steward the money, you'll never steal a cent. There were many opportunities for you to get bribed, but you'd always take the high road and put in a case. You never took anything, and for that, I respect you more than anybody else. I thought to myself, oh, you were noticing it? I was like, okay. So we started Vaxawave. Vaxawave started registered probably in August. Um, and if I told you how much it had grown, you'd probably not believe me, but luckily I saw my accountant, oh yes, there he is. He's the guy that does all of my books. How Vaxawave has grown is, there's no other explanation but to say glory to God. When I left, when I put in my resignation on the 7th of December, I did not know what Vaxawave was going to do. But in a very short period of time, we had revenue of excess of 50 million. And APSA actually became one of the critical um, customers in that. And I thought to myself, even people I did not get along with would call me and say, I heard you doing this. I want to help you. I've got this deal. Don't you want to come and do this with us? And I thought to myself, wow, you know, when they say some your enemies will call you and they will actually open doors. And that's what, that's what eventually has happened. Um, I now have a perfect work-life balance. I don't work 18-hour days anymore. So again, I'm in a season of relaxing and doing what I love. I work from home. We don't have offices because why the overhead spend? You know, many young people, when I'd be watching uh, YouTube videos, they'll be like, I want this office space, and they go get it in the most expensive areas. Who do you want to please? The internet in that office is the same internet in my house. So let's just get that out of the way. 
And I always say, clients never really want to come out. It's raining, there's traffic, there's load shedding. I'll always say, hey, I'll come to your offices. They won't know my reasons for it, you know. I know mine. And if push comes to shove, my dad was like, here's an office. You can use it anytime. And I was like, good shot. So that's how we run the business. And the vision of this business is like a 2050 business. It's what we call virtual networking business. So we don't have all the skills that we always contract for but we get companies, smaller companies, to actually build with us as us. It takes away the overhead, gives you the best quality of delivery, because if they don't do it well, we just say, peace out, it's been real. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to leave you with these principles and codes, which I've applied throughout my career to be where I am. So some of this I've alluded earlier. The same God found in a worship place is the same God that lives in me, and is the same God in the workplace. Most of us become very different people when we enter the workplace. And when I started getting money, I, I made a commitment to God. I said, you know what, God, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to be like, you know, studying drags or studying to learn all these other things that I'm not doing now. Just keep me humble. And I promise I'll give you 8%. I'm not, it's not mine. And I've kept that promise. And even when I was like tempted to say, ish, but I need to replace my tires. Should I, can't I make it 8%? I would just give it away. And I truly believe that that faithfulness is what has actually brought the favor upon my life as well. And, you know, the principles that I taught in church, I'd watch these YouTube videos of coaches and I'd be like, but they're saying the same thing. They're just not using the verse. So I'm like, so then why do we look at church as church people and then we go to the circular world and it's something else? It's actually all the same. And one of the lessons I always grow up with was I stay true to myself. I never let what anybody says distract me from my goals. And so I do not sweat the small stuff. It doesn't matter what you think of me. Like what matters is what God thinks of me. <laughs> it bothers a lot of people because I'm like, I'm sorry you understood X, Y, Z like this. That's not how I meant it, but that's a personal problem. <laughs> like, and I'd always say it sounds like a personal problem to me. So that's how I've always doubted because the devil comes in different ways. Yes. People will bring things to you and it will distract you from your goals. And I'm just like, guys, if I'm focused on this, if you're going to bring things to me that are not related to this, uh-uh, I don't have time for it. And some people are like, I can't talk to you right now. I'm tired. I'm drained. You're going to drain me more. Call me on Monday. And they'll be like, ah! Oh. I'm like, rather that than me waste my time. I'm first. You are second. I said goals, and you know, there's a, vis uh, a verse in the Bible, I think Eclis, that book I can't pronounce, ECC, that one. <laughs> Write the vision down on plain tablets so that he who sees can run with it. And that's what I've done with all my goals. I literally went back to all my goals when I was preparing for this talk, and every single one that I've achieved is in there. Everything that I've said today, I wrote down at 25. I wrote something similar that was then improved at 25. And I've written another for 35 and another for 40. And I always make, go back to it. And it's not just about, oh God, I want to be a billionaire and live the world. And this is, for me, it's like, what has God put in me? And I always pray, God, direct me. Is this the right thing? Is this not? Because I cannot look at my friend and think, Oh, but they're doing this and this. I need to also do this. So a lot of my goals, people are like, okay, but why would you want to do this and do this? And my like, God told me. And that settles it. 
And I always say, pray for tasks equal to your powers. Do not, sorry, do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. And whenever I go into a meeting, I meet a new client, I'll be like, wherever I've set my foot, I shall take over. And I go in with that authority. Um, I've got an example from this week where we were presenting with one of the commissioners on fourth industrial revolution. EOH, IBM, multinational, billion dollar listed companies were there. It was six white males, I was the only woman and the only bad person. And I could see they were undermining me, they kept talking to my partner, and I was like, hello, I'm here. But I thought to myself, you don't mess with the paycheck. So I was like, behave yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so as it was my turn to present, and I'd actually not planned for this because I thought my partner was going to do all the presenting. I went up and I got a standing ovation from the commissioner and for some people in the room. The other guys did not. And I thought to myself, that's God. And my partner was like, how did you make all of that up while you were there? I was like, Peter, Holy Spirit, learn him, become friends. <laughs> and he just gave me this look like, okay, she's on to something else. And another thing is, failure is not the opposite of success. It is part of success. I've just summarized my failures for you. I have failed many times, but I've risen. And I've got a mindset of, it's not failure. God wants me to do something else. I did not pay attention. Let me look at this from a different angle. And there's a verse that I wrote down that's actually on my mirror. <laughs> the righteous may fall seven times, but still get up. But the wicked will never stumble into trouble. Question I ask myself, am I righteous? Stand up for what you believe in. I think I've had enough of that. And I guess my mother's strong personality is key in shaping this. I had no other choice. When you are raised by a bold and fearless woman, you are like, oh, okay, so I can say that and get away with it. Okay, let me try this. <laughs> so I think I'm a version 2.0 or later of her. Another thing, seventh one was, know your values, never compromise. I have been given bribes, bribes that were, would have not given, proposed bribes, that would have set me up for life. And I refused. And I will always refuse. Even recently, someone was like, Pender for this, this one is my friend, and just give us 50,000. I said, no, I'm not gonna do it. And they were like, you're very foolish. You are gonna be making X amount. And I'm like, leave me with my stupidity. You go and find someone else. Because if I ever give that up, I've given up on what God has placed in me. I'm using my own strength instead of relying on what he can open. And I have the saying, I look in the mirror, that's my only competition. And whenever I achieve something, I always say, oh, we're just getting started. <laughs> whenever I call my friends, I'm like, congratulations, I'm like, oh, we're just getting started. <laughs> and I always say, excellence is a constant. It needs constant rework. You can't arrive at excellence or success. Every day you need to do something else. So I never get complacent. Right now, I've got this company, it's doing well. But I'm like, okay, what's the next gap in the market? I'm already thinking about the next thing. The ninth one is, everyone you cross paths with has a purpose. So often, and it was one of the bugbears I had with corporate, people look down on people. And it's like, oh, Kumile AVP, no wonder the VP, this, and I'm like, guys, do they grades matter? God doesn't look at grades. 
God, you know, and, and I'd always keep saying, people be like, oh, you can't say this to Maria. I'm like, me and Maria will be judged the same in heaven. There is no MD in heaven. And people would look at me like, what? I'd be like, but there isn't. Why should I fear her? She's as human as I am. And I've always treated people in that manner to say, you, anybody can add value in my life. In fact, most people that have helped me in my life were not the top of the chain. They were not the most glamorous, but they have played a very significant role in my life in shaping who I am. And work-life balance, I alluded to it earlier on, understand the season you're in. It's not always possible to do a 50-50. Sometimes you'll need to do 80-20. Sometimes it will be 20-80. Just understand the season and ensure that the key components are getting what they need. Lastly, save up. I haven't drawn a salary in my company yet because I had saved up a kitty. And when I was saving up, I was like, you know what, I never want to be controlled by money. I never want to be those people that are afraid to speak up in a meeting because what if I get fired? Mm. You know, and I thought, and you know, I paid up my car in 2012 and I could have bought a new car. And I thought, no, I'm not going to buy a new car. This car still works just fine. Why must I keep up with the Jones? The Jones are way ahead. I'll never keep up. And in everything I do, I always say, but if I'm going to spend on this. Will I have money for this and this and this in like five, ten months to come? Because most of us will live hand to mouth. And if you live hand to mouth, you are controlled by your master, which is whoever you work for. And is God then still first in your life? So I always say, don't be trapped in a system. Finally, I'm done. <laughs> so I'm going to leave you with this. In the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. Thank you.